senorita Really nice to meet ya Have some tequila and stay week on squats and margaritas it's wife mom of three and the newly crowned mrs world mrs american herself shaylin ford i want to talk about pageants i want to talk about having the confidence to enter pageants i want to get into all of it um, she's very candid about her mental health i want to talk about that stigma here's my episode with mrs world shaylin ford hi is that a buckeye helmet behind you it is. I love that you know that. That makes me very happy. I love that I know that. Um, Do you know where I grew up? No. Westerville, Ohio. Stop. How did I not know this? So I just got I'm goosebumps. very embarrassed. I know. <laughs> I saw because I was like, oh, I love that Mrs. World is Mrs. American. And then I was like, did yeah. I read that she was Mrs. Ohio? And then yeah. I'm like, what are the odds? Um, so I'm originally from Finley. That's okay. where I grew up. And then yeah. um, so like you know, not, not much there. Um, and then great coffee, I guess we have that. Um, and then, uh, we moved to my husband and I have lived a few places since we got married. We we're up in Toledo. We were in Worcester. Um, but we moved to Columbus about 11 years ago and we live in Granville now. So like, oh right my God. Yeah. That's so crazy. Like I, I mm. went to university of Dayton. Um, mm. I went to DeSales. Um, in Columbus. Okay. Like, I moved to DC right when I graduated from college. So I was out of Columbus, but I grew up, I mean, I Westerville, that's so yeah. funny. Wow. That I know not, oh gosh, such a small world. It is. So growing yeah. up in Ohio, were you in pageants as a kid or is this a recent thing? Um, so I did one when I was a kid, my mom was a baton twirling teacher. So I, I feel oh like God. I'm the most cliche pageant person of all time. Um, but, uh, but yes, my mom was a baton twirling coach. So, and she had like one of the biggest baton cores in the Midwest. Like it was huge. It was, yeah. Um, so that was a huge part of my life. Um, so I did Miss Twirl of Ohio when I was younger, <laughs> literally got last place in interview last place, like wow. dead last. Um, so that was always kind of a, you know, funny thing. I was really proud when I won Mrs. Ohio this year that I got best in interview. I was like, look, mom, I grew up. <laughs> hey, um, look, mom, I made it. <laughs> I can finally talk. Yes. Um, but yeah, so uh, did that when I was a kid a couple times. Honestly, didn't really do anything pageant wise after that. Um, I did baton competitions all the time. I did ballet growing up. I actually got to dance with the Pennsylvania ballet and the Minnesota ballet, like really fun. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, I didn't do pageants again until I was, um, out of high school. I did Miss Ohio USA, the Miss USA system mm -hmm. one time. Um, I was so pumped. I made top six. I literally, I was telling somebody the other day, I wore flats, ballet flats <laughs> under my evening gown. Do you know, understand like how proud I was that oh, yes. I made it anywhere at all? I, I committed like the cardinal sin. So to, to me, that felt great. You know, I was dang top six. I was yeah, so proud. In flats. Um, <laughs> yes, in flats. Um, so I didn't do pageants again until we had been married gosh, like 10 years, almost, I think right around 10 years. And, um, it was just kind of, it was still in me. Like I had been planning on competing again before I met my husband, mm -hmm. um, in the Miss USA system. And he tried to talk me into it. He tried to literally talk me out of marrying him and was like, <laughs> why don't you wait? Cause I know you really want this. Oh. And, uh, and I was like, no, I'd rather be Mrs. Ford than Miss Ohio. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm 
don't regret that decision. We've been married almost 18 years. It was great, but, um, but yeah, it was always kind of there in the back of my mind. So it's been kind of cool to be able to come back to it. And, um, I don't know if you saw this, um, anywhere in my like social or anything. Um, but I was Mrs. Ohio back in 2014. Wow. No. Um, Yeah. So I, I competed back then. And then I found out I was pregnant, like right after I won. Oh my so God. I was like 19, 20 weeks at Mrs. America, like oh. trying to hide a nugget, you know, my at 20 like, weeks in, I'm like, I'm trying. He only goes in so far. Right. I'm halfway <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know, wow. it kind of, I, thankfully because I'm tall, I'm five foot 10. It, Same. it just kind of looked like I had more cheeseburgers than everybody else did during prep. You know, they're like, man, she really didn't try on the fitness portion, did she? <laughs> it's like, no, I did. That was the best I could do. Wow. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was just not the experience that like, I couldn't come in at my personal best in every sense, you know, at your physical um, ideal that you, yeah. And yeah. even just like mentally, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I, I was sick for a long time through my pregnancies. So I'm like still throwing up while I'm there. It was mm. just not. <laughs> It was not it. So yeah, I couldn't be like totally focused. And so to be able to have this opportunity, it was kind of a wild situation where I was able to come back and get another chance. And for, for me to go, okay, I've always had this, what if in the back of my head of like, what if I come in at my absolute best and I'm focused and I'm healed and I'm a whole person and I've had this growth. Mm -hmm. It's like to see where that led was Mrs. World. Yeah. We're both very candid about our mental health struggles. That's why I asked you first about growing up. I thought maybe you grew up in the pageant circuit, but you did mention ballet. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that could be a parallel. Did you struggle ever with body image or disordered eating growing up? A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Ballet. Unfortunately, that arena, most Mm -hmm. people have some sort of body dysmorphia and, you know, disordered eating and those kind of things. It definitely contributed to it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel like I just kind of in general, like I did some modeling as well. And so there's always that, like, you know, you'd probably get that part if you lost five pounds or you'd probably get this, you know, ad or this job or whatever, if you were three pounds, two pounds, whatever. And all of a sudden it starts adding up and you're like, I'm mm-hmm. down so much and I'm so skinny. Um, And honestly, for me, it's interesting because I've heard you talk in past episodes about your own experience with it and Mm -hmm. and hearing even other people too. And like, I want people to look at me a certain way and whatever. I think for me, it was more um, control over my own life because I really didn't feel like I had control of much of anything. What felt out of control? um, This is tough because it's like, I I had great parents. They, They love me. They they did their absolute best. I think we all have generations of things, right? So it's not, Yep. <laughs> I hate that. Cause I'm like, I don't want to feel like I'm throwing them under the bus. I totally get, I know um, exactly where you're coming from. I know. Yeah. yeah. You can tell that you're, you had a great, just you putting it that way. You can tell yeah. what great like, parents they, you had. Yeah. And, and we've, you know, we've had long conversations as well about mm-hmm. that situation, but, um, I was homeschooled for a lot of my upbringing. We were kind of like, in a church situation where I think we were just led to believe like there was one certain way of doing things. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it wasn't very open to what was necessarily best for the individual. It was just like, this is it, this is the path. Yeah. And it didn't fit me. Um, 
well at all. I'm an oldest child as well. So like that whole <laughs> perfectionism, yeah, uh-huh. that came into play in a big way. Like, I'm the oldest of four. They're way younger than me too. They're the closest in age to me is six years. They're like six, wow. 10, 11 years younger. So I felt very maternal towards them even more yeah. than I did an older sister. Um, I was just kind of put out there as like, this is the model of the perfect Christian child. And, and so I felt like, oh, I got to be this. Like all to be the time, I felt this level of pressure that I think because I felt like this pressure coming down on me and I didn't feel like I had control of much. That was the one thing I could control. Mm-hmm. I controlled how much I ate. I controlled if it stayed down. I controlled my body. Right. And so, um, it kind of became almost more of a pressure release for me than it did even uh, the idea of like, I want people to see me a certain way. Almost, you know, I wonder, I've never really thought about it this way before, but almost maybe even in a like micro rebellion. That makes (laughs) sense. It's like, I tried so hard to be the good little girl and fit everybody's ideal in every other way. And it was like in my own private space, I can do whatever. Yes. Secretive, isolating. Did you struggle with actual eating disorders or was it more just like controlling? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Um, anorexia and bulimia. Um, wow. thank you for saying for me, that. Yeah. I, and it's, it's one of those things, like I've talked publicly about, um, having disordered eating at different points, but I've never really gone into great detail about it. So, you know, why it. not? It's why secretive. Not it's shameful. Before. I'm the same. I was going to write a book without mentioning it. Like I was like, yeah. I just want to help women now. And my writing coach was like, are you a nutritionist? Are you a trainer? And I was like, no, but I have struggled. And she's like, you have yeah. to tell your story. I was like, no, no, no. I had to like sit my parents down and be like, listen, 10 years, I struggled with anorexia and bulimia yeah. and the bulimia, like I could not get under control. And I think you just saying it as yeah. Mrs. World, the messages that I get on my smaller scale of thank you for saying it me too, but I've never told anyone the more yeah. people that just say like, this is a thing. And it's just a shame, both like no one wants to be seen as like, somebody that's not perfect. And like, I wasn't yeah. Mrs. World or Miss Ohio, but I like in high school, I was prom queen. And you have a massive queen. platform. It's I was, yeah, well, no, in high school, like when I was anorexic, I was prom queen, homecoming queen, and like captain of the soccer team. I didn't want to let that image down. Like I didn't want yes. people to be like, you don't know what's really happening. And then yes. I quit soccer in college and that depression, I know we both struggled with depression. I think what you said, like when I didn't have soccer anymore and I lost that identity, it was like, well, what next? It was out of control. Yeah. And the bulimia, like binging and purging is something that I could control. And yeah, I hit it from everyone, which isolates you from everyone. You feel alone. And it's so freeing to just say it. I just feel like yeah. I share everything now. Cause I'm like, what? I mean, you have everything on me. Like, I don't know what your secrets yeah. are, but I'm an open book. I feel lighter and freer. And the more people yeah. that can talk about it. It's funny. Victoria Garrick um, is a mental health advocate that I had on a couple of weeks ago. She did a yeah. Ted talk about mental health and how hard it was, uh, to be a division one athlete. And she struggled with binge eating. She never, she was afraid to throw up, but she would just Mm -hmm. go and like hide in a closet and eat all the things. And she was Mm -hmm. in the binge eating cycle when she gave the Ted talk. And she goes, I'm up there, like all like telling everything about like my mental health. She's like, I wasn't going to tell that. And she's like, now she talks about it. She's like, that was the shameful part. She's like, I'll tell you about everything Mm -hmm. in my life, but now she's open about it. But you get perspective once you're like kind of removed from it. And it's a lot harder to talk about it when you're in it. But now, like when you're kind of removed back, 
yeah. it will help so many people that are in it now to be like, okay, Katie Couric talked about her bulimia on the show. Yeah, like, I think and that's if, incredible. I love yeah, that she did that. Exactly. And if so you like, she, she, her too. So some 20 year old at home, like I was like doing this, be like, okay. And she got out of it. And it, yep. it's not such a shameful thing. If more people said it out loud. Right. So I appreciate you saying it out loud. And, and it is crazy how some of the things that seem so counterintuitive are the things that are the most helpful, the most true, right? It's yes. like every time that you step outside of yourself and you, you say it openly, you get things like that out in the open it loses its grip on you. It loses some of its power. A lot of the power that it has comes from the secrecy. And so, yeah, it's like you get more free. You feel like that's when people are most likely to reject you. But honestly, that's the point where they are most able to love you because now they actually know who you are. Yeah. And you can connect. The wall has been taken down. My husband and I, like I said, we've been married almost 18 years. Mm. Just in the past year, I have shared so much more with him about my actual feelings within depression, my actual journey with eating and, and, you know, having all of those hardships. We've been together for the better part of two decades. Yep. And there was so much that he hadn't even been allowed into until the last year. And I'm sad for the time lost that I was not more candid and more open, but I'm like, you know what, at least I'm doing it now. And I'm, 37, almost 38. I have the rest of my life. Thank God I'm not doing this at 88. You know, I just talked about this too. There's somebody that Victoria was talking about it in her twenties. And I was like, you're so lucky to have found this at 20. Like I I got married at 33 and was still, I wasn't, it's very hard. We can talk about this too. The mental aspect. I never got treatment because that meant that I would have to say it out loud and everybody would know. So that was a happening. Or admit that you did have a (laughs) problem and you weren't perfect. And I (gasps) knew I had a problem. Like I was out in a snowstorm trying to get all the things that I could binge and purge on. And I was like very aware in that moment, like you need to get help, but then people would know. So I never got treatment. And I, (laughs) I feel like there are people in the eating disorder community that come for me because of my language and I'm trying to watch it. And I feel like I'll always have the mental like I do not abuse my body anymore, but I feel like, and I don't know if it's cause I didn't get treatment that the mental part of it is just always mm-hmm. going to be there. And I have been told I use fat phobic, um, language and I'm mm-hmm. not trying to, but I'm also no. not a professional and I, I want to continue to share my story and I do still strive for a physical ideal and I feel my best in my best physical body. I feel confident. I feel like there's not that noise. Like I, when I was Mm -hmm. heavier and I was working out so hard and I couldn't lose weight, I, that frustration spilled over into all my relationships. I was frustrated with my husband. I was just short with him, but it was really just like my weight struggle when that, when I handled that, like I, nothing really gets me down anymore. Cause that was like the thing. So I feel better in my best physical body. And I know that the goal is to feel happy and confident at any size. And I'm not there yet, admittedly. And I think like competing in pageants, like at 30, I feel it's funny that you're 37. Cause that's, I wrote my book at 37. I was like, I finally found my best body at 37 mm-hmm. after like my twenties. It's the magic number, man. It is. Like, <laughs> and I don't, I, it's a whole nother podcast. We can talk. I didn't even work. I don't work as hard now. Like when I was in the gym mm. seven days a week and oh, yeah. restricting, I weighed 20 pounds more. So mm-hmm. that, but like, to be competing at 37, would you like say you're hitting your prime now at 37? Oh, oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. Isn't that oh, amazing? 
So I, I want to take a quick step back and address what you said yeah, yeah, about yeah, like, please. using fat phobic language or, or feeling like you're still struggling with the mental piece. I think yeah. there's always a little bit of the mental piece that, that will always be there. Right. And that, that you have to just like someone who has maybe struggled with being an alcoholic at some point or whatever, like yeah. there's always going to be a little bit of something there. And it's different for us because you could choose if you were an alcoholic to stay away from alcohol completely for the rest of your life or to never smoke another cigarette or whatever you have to eat. True. Right. So it is, a, it is a little bit more complicated. Um, and I would say this to the people who are, um, frustrated with maybe language that you use or whatever. I, I would encourage people to be aware of the fact that everybody's journey is unique and mm -hmm. different. I, I understand what you're saying when you say i have to, like, I feel best in my best body. Of course I I'm the same way. Like there's a certain kind of range of weight and muscle mass and whatever that I physically feel good in. Yeah. And I feel like my mental and my physical are the most connected and aligned. Yes. It doesn't mean that I don't love myself at other weights. I do. I think that's, that's maybe the change in language that we should strive for. Cause people, people saying like, you should feel great at any weight or at any, maybe you won't. I don't know that that's really real for everybody. I think you should be able to love yourself completely at any rate yeah. and not have your love for yourself be conditional. That's critical. But as far as what actually feels best to you physically, mm -hmm. finding, you know, finding that healthy place and maybe somebody needs therapy to get there. Maybe you've worked through it organically like you did, but finding that physical place where you go, my heart, my gut, my mind, my body are all the most aligned. This is my sweet spot. This yeah, is my state. I love, I love myself no matter what, whether I'm under it, over it, whatever. Um, that doesn't change, right. but how aligned and healthy I feel. Does I that make that. sense? A hundred percent. I feel aligned and I feel, I, I think I strive for a physical ideal, but I do it in a healthy way. Right. Like I, before I was striving for a physical ideal by throwing up my food, restricting my calories and over-exercising all in pursuit of a physical ideal. Now, yes, I still want my best physical body, but I do it in a healthy way. Like I live by listening to my body. You're, and yeah, you're doing it a way that you're showing love to yourself. Yeah. So it's, it is of, still a pursuit of, a, of an ideal, but the ideal has changed, which is funny because yeah. growing up, I just wanted to be stick thin, like Kate Moss, no, butt, and now I'm right. like in the gym with like the heaviest weight, trying to grow my butt. And like, I want a muscle and yeah. I want, it, it changed what my aesthetic, but it is still a, a, after an aesthetic, but it's making me think of like pageants. No one is out there in any, everybody type is pretty much the same. And what I think is seen as the ideal body type. Mm -hmm. If there were all different bodies in the swimsuit and then competing and feeling confident, then it would mm -hmm. make it like, yeah, she's happy in her body and she doesn't look exactly like everyone else, but nobody is competing at a bigger size because I, in my opinion, they don't feel confident yeah. being at, like, what, how do you, how do you, I wish there would be like another country came in and everybody comes in in a physical ideal, which I don't blame them. I would do the same exact thing because you want to present your best physical body and you want to mm -hmm. feel confident in that body. But we don't see any other body. Everybody yeah, yeah. And, and like a little kid like me, well, I have a six-year-old daughter. And then I think of me when I would like 
be in high school and watch like a Miss USA. And it did make me feel bad about myself. Like, look at their, how perfect they look. But what mm-hmm. if there was all different kinds of bodies competing? We don't have yeah. that. I feel like you're starting to see it open up a little more. Um, especially like at Mrs. America this year, it was really cool because I felt like we saw a pretty wide range of bodies, awesome. which was neat. Um, and also the people that had, you know, lots of different shapes, just owning the stage and feeling total confidence, which yes. was really cool. Um, and being supported. I think even the ideal, like you said, it used to be kind of the stick skinny, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I was, thin at Mrs. World. Um, you know, I was definitely like feeling very fit. I had mm-hmm. pretty low body fat, but I was, I was still thicker than quite a few ladies there. I had more muscle on my frame than a lot of ladies there. Um, we, there was a little, you saw a little more range in body okay. types again, like that, not massive, but you saw a little more, um, even on the Miss USA stage, like you, I know you mentioned, uh, Chesley Christ a couple of weeks ago, um, that we just lost. And I loved that she got up there and she was, you know, a former track star. She's up there with like cut abs and these arms. And it's like, we hadn't seen that. It was always Mm -mm. just this very specific shape. And it was like, all right, you know, she's this, that was her, that was her best, her healthiest. She felt good there physically. Obviously there were other parts that were not in alignment there. Um, right. And that, that's been, that's been a hard one. What a fabulous mental health segue. Like, yeah, you see her up there. We're talking about just how beautiful and confident no one knew. And Mm -hmm. again, the shame and the stigma of mental health. And she was, she was Miss USA. So it was, I, I have to think it's like not wanting to let anybody down. I miss USA. I can't be like, oh, well, guess what? I'm struggling yeah. with uh, anxiety and depression and all these things. So she kept it all in. No one had a clue. I thank you for being so candid about your mental health. Like we both struggled with depression and there's a stigma mm-hmm. about like medicating yourself for yeah. depression. And I love what you said about like physical illness. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, for me, the, losing Chesley really hit me hard. I was there when she competed for Miss Universe. I mean, I was sitting front and center. I was right behind Steve Harvey's head. You know, I'm, I'm watching. Um, and so that like to, to watch her journey and, um, some people don't know she was an attorney before she was Miss USA. I mean, you're talking about, you know, and a star athlete and just such an accomplished woman. And then she goes on to be an e-correspondent. And so, yeah, people, I think she felt like she had to uphold that pressure. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like Atlas holding the weight of the world. Yes. And you can only do that for so long. And so it breaks my heart that she didn't feel like she could tell the rest of us in the world what was going on. And so I think the lesson to be learned is, uh, you know, don't keep that to yourself. Mm-mm. Um, my response to what happened with Chesley was I realized I need to come out and be honest about Amazing. my own experience. So I have talked about it on a public stage before, but not, not deeply didn't, you know, I kind of gave an overview. I didn't really discuss exactly what was going on in the depths of the despair. Mm-hmm. Um, and I live by this quote now. Um, there's a, an amazing Enneagram. Uh, do you know anything about the Enneagram? Have you ever studied? Oh no. my gosh, you have to. Okay. This is a whole separate conversation. <laughs> going to write it down. Anyways, this, this amazing therapist, and she's an Enneagram expert. Her name's Suzanne Stabile. And she 
had this one line that I'm like, I live my whole life by this now. And she said, I just need to know what is mine to do. I don't need to worry about anything else in the world. What is Mm. mine to do? And it's like, that sounds so simple, but it's really profound. And so I ask myself that question all the time now. And so in response to what happened with Chesley, I, I asked myself, what is mine to do? Yeah. And at this stage in my life and with the platform I've been given, I realized what is mine to do is to be deeply honest about what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. And the response blew my mind. Um, you, wow. you referenced when I talked openly um, from the stage, like the very Was that at your week, church. It right, was that's what yeah. I watch. Okay. Yeah. Every February, my husband and I do a series together. We do stuff together or me by myself other times too, but that's kind of like tradition for us. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know what, this is the time I'm going to do it. There are, there's a thousand people in the building. There are thousands of people watching online and you know, who knows how many more people this is going to reach. I'm going to sit here in front of this crowd and say it, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. was like, <gasps> you know, kind of make know. you <laughs> gag, but you're like, it's now no. or never it's time to do it. And so, yes, I do take medication. Um, no, do I, I. I would like to say that as yep. well. Both yep. of us. And I have for, let's see, almost a year now. It's been since March of last year. And um, I, I referenced the fact that it really is weird how we treat the brain so completely different than any other organ. Because if you had a heart condition, if something wrong, was wrong with your kidneys, if something was wrong with your blood, you would not hesitate if your doctor said, you know, you really need to take this blood thinner or this whatever, you know, and maybe you want to do something holistic. That's fine too. But the reality is you would treat it. Yes. You wouldn't just go, you know, go take a long walk and pray about it yeah. and ignore it. You'll be fine. <laughs> yes. Like you wouldn't do that. And there's you no stigma, no stigma and about treating a physical, but mental it's right. like, And it's like people try to ignore the connection between physical and and mental when it comes to your brain. Your brain is a part of your physical body. It's an organ. I've had some people reach out. Most of the response has been massively positive since then. And and it has honestly blown my mind. I didn't even expect the floodgates to open the way they did. And people going, you gave me permission to go get And I'm going, gosh, that breaks my heart that you felt like you needed permission, but thank God you have it. So if anybody's listening to this today, please Mm -hmm. take this as your permission to go get help. Um, But I did have a few people that responded and said, you know, negative things about taking medication or, or medication doesn't fix everything. Some people were just trying to bring up the point, like medication isn't for everyone. Of course not. I would never say that. Um, So I just want to clarify that publicly. Medication isn't the answer for everything either. But if there is something physically wrong with your brain that is contributing to your mental health, Mm -hmm. we should address it. I like when you said it's a chemical imbalance. It's not you're feeling sad. Like there is something chemically off. Something's off. People look at you and are like, well, she has it all together. Like I the more people, as soon as you said, no, ma'am. Right. As soon as you said me, it it does give permission. Like that makes it okay. Like I, mine, I started, I've been on mine. I'm take Zoloft for my, so it's Zoloft is an anti-depression drug, but I take it for my anxiety. And I have always kind of been like, like a hundred miles an hour anxious. But Mm -hmm. when I became a mom with my oldest, like six years ago, I was on a plane. I I, I was like, I have to get off the plane. I was like thinking of all the scenarios, like if, if not a crash, but like when they closed that door, I was responsible for my baby. And I was like, how, how do I get her off? If everyone stands up, I just started like spiraling. Yeah. And if I was not the only person 
in charge of that baby, I would have had a full blown panic attack. The only reason I didn't like get taken off the plane, it like was because I had to take care of my daughter. And I just looked at her and I started going to therapy and I was like, I was so paralyzed with anxiety. And she's like, it's yeah. so common. And then it's like the more, when I started saying it, I would say, be like, and I'm now I'm taking Zoloft and my friends are like, Oh, what a uh, hundred milligram or, and I'm yeah, like, right. wait, <laughs> does everybody do this? And it's like, yeah. yeah, I've been taking, I was like, so everybody's had help. And I'm just trying to like raw dog it through this world. Like <laughs> it was so common, but everybody's like, I can't believe you. Yeah. Oh, yeah I, me too. But like, I just don't say it. if people yeah. would say the things then yes. no one would feel alone. And that's what I want this show to be like, listen to this conversation and be like, Mrs. World takes medication, takes medication, <laughs> like feels the same things. My not son health. probably doesn't have pants on right now. Like <laughs> everybody's a mess, but nobody shows that it's like right. on social. And I get it. I'm guilty of it too. Why would somebody take a picture and like your son doesn't have pants on and your playroom's a mess. Why would you have the thought to be like, I'm going to put this on Instagram. You don't, but if people started doing that, and be like, oh, my playroom looks like that too. No yeah. one would feel um, yeah. less than. And yep. like Melissa Joan Hart did this show in her closet. And she's like, like you are, like, I only see this much. And she's like, you only see this much. If you could see what I'm looking at. And then she turned the camera and I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I assumed your Melissa Joan Hart's closet was perfection. She's like, no, right. but I'm like, yes. So nobody is perfect. Nobody, everybody thinks that, people have it all together, just looking at their social media, but mm -hmm. social media is what you want people to see. Like you're right. not going to, Oh God, I hate that that just happened. Let me take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. <laughs> you're no one does that. So you're only seeing like the highlight reel. Yeah. And just more people can just be open about mental health or like past struggles. Even if you're past yeah. it, somebody is still in it. So somebody's still in it. Yes. yes. I love what you said about, I'm going to post a picture of my closet from last week because <laughs> the whole thing had like all the shelving had been ripped out of the wall and was in a pile on the floor because my youngest son, both my boys have autism, by the way. Yes. My youngest son had decided to climb the shelving to get to a key pair of my high heels that he needed to complete his Spider-Man costume. <laughs> Obviously. And, and so the whole thing came crashing down. So yeah, that is, that is my life. It's interesting what you said about posting on social media, because I, again, it comes back to that whole, like, what is mine to do? And mm -hmm. I've realized that I need to be intentionally doing what is counterintuitive to what has been like baked into me my mm -hmm. whole life all the time. Yeah. So, um, the most liked photos on my social media over the time, I decided to go ahead and post some crazy stuff like that. I, and, and kind of almost like a tongue in cheek way. Like I have, a, <laughs> I have a picture of me with like sunglasses on in my house, like in a very model-esque pose next to a broken recliner. <laughs> and the whole room is just covered in like dirty crap all over behind Love me. It. Cause I'm like, this is my real life. Like, welcome to my home. My kid ripped the arm off this chair today, tore the house apart, but like, you know, we're going to be glam in the middle of it. People loved it. I, I have another one where like my youngest son is holding his crotch because at six years old, we're finally like, he's wearing <laughs> underwear for the first time. He's finally potty training. Yeah. I've done 12 straight years of diapers. Hallelujah. Oh. Just got done. <laughs> Amen. So free. It feels so good. Yeah. I literally burned a diaper box like symbolically. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, he's, he's holding his crotch because he's not used to the feel of underwear. Mm -hmm. My other son is not wearing a shirt, um, just wearing a coat because he doesn't believe in clothes. 
clothes. And I'm outside, like, like I said, trying to have like this model moment with them on either side of me next to like my dirty SUV. So I'm like, you know what? This is, this is real balance. Yes. Like this is what it's really that, like. Yes. Do I have moments where I have like full glam photo shoots and a crown and a whatever? Sure. But that's not real life. Most of my life I'm at home in my Bowie t-shirt, like, yeah. you know, barefoot right now, lucky that I have makeup on and, you know, trying to balance having a kid that has a remote day from school. And sometimes it's really ugly and it's meltdowns in public and people calling me names or calling my kids names because they don't understand what an autistic meltdown is, you know? And so that's, it's the extreme, right. And everything in between one of the only, um, stories that I have saved on my Instagram is my son's bedroom being an absolute crap storm because I'm like, you know what, this is something that I want people to be able to come back and see. And, uh, you know, for me, I talked about in that story, how he used to be super OCD and his room was perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. because he couldn't handle anything being out of order. So the fact that his room is a mess is actually progress. Amazing. Yeah. Progress is messy, right? Like all the time. It's not, we want it to be so linear and perfect, but it's not, there's always sideways energy. There's always the metaphoric clothes on the floor and like a sucker stuck in the carpet and right. Yes. But (laughs) we can choose to see what's beautiful about it and not get discouraged and just go, Hey, this means we're getting somewhere. Like it looks like chaos, but it means we're getting somewhere then that's, that's where like the real healing comes in. You know, that's where it gets really beautiful and good. How did you, is it, you said both of your sons. So how did you find out when, what age was your son diagnosed? So we have three kids. Um, my daughter is 13. My boys are 10 and seven. Um, my daughter is like super precocious from the time she was five years old. Like she watched the inauguration at like five years old and was bawling. And I'm like, why are you crying? And she's like, this is going to be me someday. You know? And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, she, it is. She's already <laughs> literally in correspondence with Wharton business college because she's like, I want to go to this Ivy league school. And so she's been emailing them in seventh grade. Like, (laughs) what do you need to see from me to guarantee that I'll get in your college? And she's like, I am keeping their emails as the receipts because I'm doing everything (laughs) they asked. Like she's a trip. First born from having that perfectionist. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) to then we have our first son and it's like, he's not talking for a long time. He's not engaging socially. He's not looking you in the eye and you're just going, what is going on here? Um, and, and just being super OCD about everything. It was like, if you came in and turned a duck in his room, he was losing it for the next two hours. You're like, Mm -hmm. what is wrong? Um, it's interesting because with him, I had a hard time admitting there was something wrong. It is hard to, to, know that something's deeply wrong with your kid. Right. And, and when I say that, I hope people don't hear that. Like, Oh, you don't accept him as what he is. I I do 110%. So please, please hear that. I there's, I mean, I love working with the special needs community and we can get into that later, Mm -hmm. but, um, but knowing that he needed help in an area that something was not typical, that there was support that was needed. I, I really struggled with it. Yeah. And my husband was the one that was like, honey, we need to get him checked out. Like something's wrong. Something's wrong. And I was like, no, boys are just different. You know, you're used to Ella was so like ahead of the curve that sometimes boys are slower or whatever, but it did get to a point where it was like, no, we have to get help. And cause this is getting worse, not better. Can you just say if anybody's like listening and 
questioning. So you said no eye contact. Um, mm-hmm. Like what were the things that you were seeing that in, in case somebody else is questioning this? Great question. I love that. Um, first of all, no two kids with autism are alike. Okay. Um, the symptoms can present themselves in so many different ways. That's why they call it a spectrum. Right. Um, the, the saying is, if you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism because it's all different. But some common hallmarks are um, delayed speech or um, what they call echolalia, which is just repeating things that they hear, like movie lines or things like that to have communication because they mm. can't come up with the... Um, like it's stuck up here that, you know, okay. so they, they come up with an alternative way to communicate, um, not having a lot of emotional control, um, being obsessive about order, um, or, or routine, you know, that they get really wildly bent out of shape. Like every kid loves routine, but to the mm-hmm. point that it's like the rest of the day is ruined, yeah. um, melting down, um, lack of eye contact and social awareness, um, not playing with peers, not even seem seeming to be aware of them. Um, even like with my husband, like he didn't want my husband to hug him, touch him. He didn't want to be around him. Mm. Um, it really was just primarily me and a little bit, our daughter, um, anybody else was like taboo. He didn't want them around. So those are some common hallmarks that you'll see, but again, go to your physician. If you think that there's anything that just doesn't seem quite right. If your gut Mm -hmm. is telling you, trust your mom instinct, trust your dad instinct, you know, um, or if someone else brings it to your attention, we actually had a babysitter that was studying, um, special needs issues in college. And she came to me and was like, you know, I know you were kind of thinking about it. Like, I really think something's up with Hudson. And that was kind of the tipping point for me where I was like, okay, other people are seeing it too. Mm -hmm. Um, So please don't hesitate. It doesn't mean that your kid is less than, it doesn't mean that you did something wrong. Um, It, we don't know what causes autism at this point. We're not sure. We, we just know that it's on the rise, that it's something happening, but there are tons of resources that can help you, that can help your child. Um, so the earlier you get help, the better. Um, yeah. so Hudson was two, uh, just about to turn three when he was diagnosed. Um, it was honestly a pretty like wrecking experience for me to hear them actually say those words, you know, to hear them say like, yes, this is autism, even though we were pretty darn sure at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, it was also, it was just a lot of moving parts for me. We got his diagnosis the day before I had our other son. Jeez. So it was like the, and they tell you at that, like at that appointment, they told us you are 30% more likely to, if it's a subsequent male born in your family for them to also have autism. Wow. And I knew I was being induced the next day. So it was like, oh, my mind was exploding, you know, cause I knew I was having another little boy. Um, so it was like the most emotionally, physically, mentally, chemically draining 24 hours of yeah. my life. Um, it was really intense, but Um, it's interesting because my husband and I kind of flipped roles the second time around. I had always kind of been looking for it and I had come to terms for it with our second son, Miles, like, Hey, now at least we have a roadmap. We kind of know we have the professionals in our lives. Like we know how to deal with this more, you know? And I think my husband was so hoping that he could have the type of relationship with Miles that he had not had with Hudson, our first son, because Hudson was not open, Mm -hmm. that it really was more devastating for him the second time around. 
and it was easier for me. So we swapped roles and as hard as it was, it was beautiful in the sense that we were able to support each other the first time around. Like I really needed him holding me up because I was falling apart. And the second time around, he was really dealing with a lot of hurt and anger and all of those kind of things. And I was able to come alongside and be the support for him because now I had the strength. I think that's one of the beautiful things in marriage. Like when you get to a point where you are that open and honest with each other, um, and that vulnerable, you really can be the greatest asset for your spouse. So yeah, that's, it's one of those things, like the hard things, again, we come back to what's counterintuitive, right? It's like the hardest things in life can either be what tear you apart, or they can be what bind you together more than anything. And the divorce rate among special needs families is crazy high um, because it is just so much pressure on your marriage, um, Mm -hmm. even more so than, you know, having a neurotypical (laughs) kid, yeah, marriage in general (laughs) and having neurotypical kids is hard enough. Um, then when you're trying to navigate all of these other like Royal of emotions, um, and just the day-to-day like struggle of getting people, the bus brought my son home yesterday. Like they took him and they were back three minutes later, bring him back. (laughs) I had to drive him to school because he was kicking somebody. So it's like, that's like real life every day, you know? Um, people see like your crown and the glam. (laughs) My son was just bought home for kicking and I had to take him. Yeah. The bus driver's like, congratulations. I read the article. (laughs) Also, we have to like strap Hudson into the seat now because he tries to run out the exit door. (laughs) Right. Balance. (laughs) But also this. Yeah. So like, yeah, you cannot have pride in this situation (laughs) at all. Like not at all. Um, but yeah, like all that to say, I think that it's, it's been one of those situations where, because we decided to just go, I'm going to be radically honest with you about all the things I'm feeling, no matter how it sounds, um, no matter like how tough it is to say, or how tough it is to hear, we're just going to be open to each other. And so it's ended up, we're now in the last, especially year or so of our marriage, it's been the best of the 18 years we've had so far. Wow. And it's crazy to say, because it's also been the wildest, but you've had the most on you and it's been the best. Yeah. But yeah, it has been the best. It's been super cool. And your Mrs. World. I love that you talk about balance, by the way, because um, like you can't balance all the things you have to let go of some things and not care anymore. I'm, like, I haven't done that yet. I still care. I can't do it. Like I'm still trying to balance all the things. And when I can't do it, I'm just, I live in a constant state of frustration that something yeah. is falling. How do you I call myself like a recovering perfectionist? I like <laughs> that. I was the like, when I was a kid, I would literally, if I had a crinkled dollar bill, I would iron it because I couldn't okay. stand it. <laughs> like I was, I was that level. I would take everything off, off my shelves once a week and dust them. Like psychopath. Um, but so yeah, now I'm like, no, as long as one level of my house is clean, I I can just pretend like that other level doesn't exist for a little while, like, and be okay. How'd you get to that Um, point? What made you just be like, this is okay now I need what flip the switch. Cause mine, it's not even that I would say that I am okay with it. I still don't like (laughs) it. It is what it is, but, but, but going, okay. If I want to enjoy life, it has, it has to be this. I have to just come up with new goals where I like, I find 
that place in the tension, right? So um, we'll, there's something called the frustration gap where it's like, these are my expectations. This is the performance right. and what's in between is a frustration. So I'm mm -hmm. like, I, I either have to lose my mind trying to raise this up to here, or I have to find some place in between to be. Um, yeah. And the other thing is my husband honestly has been like, God bless him. He has been so good for me in this regard because he's like, you, you need to stop assuming that like you have these assumed constraints, right? So he's like, why do you have to be the one to get the kids on the bus every morning? Like, why couldn't we have a babysitter come in the morning with the kids oh, on the bus? Yeah. And I'm like, you, I thought you just, you know, brought me something, an idea from another planet. And it's not that I'm necessarily going to do that, but he gets me thinking outside the box. Right. Wow. So it's like, we have somebody that comes two days a week now and helps me out. Um, no. even if I am home, she's with the kids and she's, um, in college for, um, speech therapy. Oh so gosh. she's amazing to be with my boys. Um, you know, my daughter at 13, like I said, she's already like basically 17. She's pretty self-sufficient. She's upstairs um, writing colleges. Everything's fine exactly. there. <laughs> yeah. She's upstairs there, like writing her memoirs. Um, but, but, you know, to have somebody to help out with those kind of things that knows how to handle their needs, that's not easy to find. Um, mm. but she's been incredible. I, when I decided to go for the Mrs. American title and obviously then went on and got Mrs. World, my husband and I talked about, okay, what has to give something does what has to give. And so I had been um, doing a lot of freelance hair and makeup work, cut it all out for the year. I have mm -hmm. one booking for the entire year. That's it. Because I'm like, I can't, I will not be able to do both and do them well and feel right. like I'm giving my whole self to it. So what has to give the other thing too, that my husband has been really good at helping me with is boiling things down to a point where it almost feels comical and like stupidly simple, but it's what it takes for us to be able to operate that way. Cause like he, he has a crazy busy life too. He can't shoulder the kids every time I want to do something like this. It's just not possible. Um, and so, and, and a babysitter is not available at, every single minute of the day either. Yeah. So it's like, okay, how do I arrange help where I can? And then how do I make it easier for people to help me? So for example, like mm. our kitchen cabinets, my husband and my daughter could never like figure out where things got put away. So even if they were putting dishes away to try to be helpful for me, I would end up super frustrated because I'm going this, nothing is where it's supposed to be. What is going on? It felt intuitive to me, but it was all in my head. Right. So literally we went through as a family and reorganized all of our kitchen cabinets last week, put everything in places that made sense to people. And then I ordered new tape for my label maker and I am labeling the inside of every cabinet. And I'm even going to take it a step beyond that because it's like, you could go, well, what constitutes a big pot in a lid? Like, yeah, we are going to Is take this medium. Pictures. Is this large? Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, <laughs> let's take pictures of the inside of every cabinet and where wow. things go and put it in a laminated folder on the inside of the cabinet. Wow. Because if I'm out of the country for a week in South Africa and people are trying to come alongside me and be helpful, um, I'm going to come home to utter chaos we're all going to be frustrated. So, but if I boil it down to like the most minute details, yeah, then anybody you, you could train a monkey to come in and help me so make true. the things happen. Right. Yeah. So that's been a, I wouldn't say we're there yet, but we're getting way better. 
Um, we also boil down like um, our life is planned into three seasons per year instead of four. Our church operates on se- three seasons as well. Um, and that actually is more intuitive for us than four, because if you count it out like January, February, March, April, um, and then May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, if you have them in four right. months, yeah. it, then it actually like your summer is more evenly split. Your school year is more evenly split your holidays. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, it makes more sense than the, the four. I, yeah. <laughs> Why I, do we I'm do like, it that way? <laughs> I'm never going back to four in my whole life. So we call everything like this is our season one plan, our season two plan, our season three plan. And every season we reevaluate like what we did this last season. Was it working for us? What was not working? What are we going to wow. change heading into next season? What do we have on the calendar for this season? Like every season let's, um, let's make something together as a family, a priority, something just the two of us as a couple of priority and then like a work thing. Right. So whatever it is for you, but nailing it down by those seasons, um, you give yourself an off ramp so that if it's too crazy, you're like, well, we only committed to it for a season. So like now we can, um, it's not as daunting. Like, you know, it's just for that. That makes sense. So much better than if you go, this is this year, right? Mm -hmm. It feels like the elephant. It's like, okay, how do we split it down into chunks where we go, okay, this season, the things that you are doing in your work are like, the list is this long. So we're going to prioritize your calendar and I'm going to, you know, be a little more of a support role or vice versa. Or maybe we look at one and we go, no, actually this like four month season, we're both chaotic. So this is where we start going family, nanny, friends, like this is when yeah. we're asking people for just one simple ask instead of going, Hey, can you just be on call for whatever? It's like, Nope, here are the exact dates that we're going to have chaos. <laughs> yeah, Here's like the manual for our chaos. And wow. then it just makes it better. Again, we don't have it mastered yet, but I feel like we've made massive strides and it has made our life so much less chaotic. It's means less tension and friction in our marriage. It's, it's been a game changer, but it really does take boiling it down to, like I said, the point, it almost feels comically dumbed down, but you're like, no, that's, that's what it takes for anybody to be able to jump in and help me. There are some things I can only do myself. Um, but there are some things that there's no reason, like I need to let go of that assumed constraint. There's no reason that somebody else can't do that for me. I, I was the same way with the dishes. Like I, I'm not going to have them put it away because who knows where they put it. I have to do that. But you made yeah. it so that other people can do that. And yeah. I never thought of it that way. I'm like, well, I just want it to be done right. Or if I give them something, I'm like, oh, never mind. Just I'll do it. Exactly. Or just like putting on their shoe, like my son, like he wants to do everything himself and like buckle the seatbelt in. I'm like, come on, come on, come on. I'll do it just because I want it mm-hmm. to be done and off my plate. Like, so I don't let them do things because yeah. I'll do it faster or I'll, and I, I need it to be checked off. Yeah. And so I need to be able to delegate, but my, I'm also hypervigilant. Um, my therapist is like, you're definitely, you have the anxiety thing, but like, if things are not happening, I'm like, let's like, if I go for a run, I want the laundry to be going or yes. something else being and all the if things it, all the time. And if mm-hmm. it's not, I feel like I'm like, what am I doing? Like things are not happening all the time. My husband is the complete opposite. So he's like, what is the, why? But I'm like, things have to be happening. Especially in like motion. I, yes. In motion. Or I don't feel like I'm succeeding. And I have a lot of guilt about like being a stay at home mom and like 
doing my show when all their moms are at work nine to five and then pick their kids up from school and make dinner and they don't have help. So it's like every time, could I use some help? Yes. But it's like other people don't have help. I have that noise. That comes back to like, number one, just like you said, you didn't know your friends were on medication and whatever. And you're like, wait a second, hold on. I'm trying to do this by myself. You don't know how many other people have help, you know, and, and more help than you would think. And I think that we like, again, put out this kind of veneer, perfect story of like, oh, I just managed it all baloney you do like no you don't that is such a lie could everyone just be honest so that no one feels this way anymore i'll I'll go first like i said i have somebody come twice a week even if i'm home yeah i don't care i know because like it's worth it it. helps massively i'm in a better frame of mind so then i'm gonna come back and be a better mom and be a better wife i can think about doing something fun and romantic for my husband if i have five minutes of brain space you Mm -hmm. know so it's like it doesn't even have to be like typical productivity for it to be productive. Does that make sense? Like it's, if it's healing me mentally, then it's good for my family. It's making me a better mother. Um, It's me. It's, it's, it's validation. Look at all the things I crossed off my list today. And if I delegate that to somebody else, it's like in my mind, no one's actually saying this, but in my mind, it's like, what did you even do? The nanny no, did this. I totally get that. I want you to know say, look at all these things. <laughs> I know. <laughs> look at what a good I, mom I am. I'm a list maker and checker <laughs> yeah. as well. I get it. Although this may be a helpful reframe for you because it was for me. Like I, um, so I have somebody clean my house once a month now. And um, I have like, anytime I have a long trip happening, I plan for this lady that does laundry to come pick up my laundry. And I literally like leave baskets on my porch and she mm. picks it up. Cause I know there's going to be a mountain of it. My kids still pee the bed. Some my, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to have all the laundry that built up that I wasn't doing while I was away. Plus everything yeah. I bring home. So I'm like, she's my ketchup. Right. So again, I'm, I'm going to go first and say, I don't do all the things myself, but the reframe that was helpful for me was going I'm kind of the manager, like making all of these things work. If you look at yourself as like, I'm the CEO and this is my company, right? If you look at your family and your job and everything, your life as your company, you're like, no, I'm super organized as a CEO. Like I've got this person working on that and that, and that project. You outsource like a CEO would. Yeah. And then you're like, I actually did a ton today. And you'll have more time. (laughs) Like I heard your interview with, I believe it was Melissa Bernstein about getting an intern. And I'm like, that's so dead on because that is something that somebody else could do for you that you don't have to do yourself. Yeah. And because they're 20 and they understand Instagram better than I do. So it really, it would help me. It's not, it's something that is a no brainer. But I'm like, but no, you would I be able to, yeah. But it's like you would be able to use that time to maybe get more sponsors for the show if that's yes, something you want, right. or to, um, you know, spend more time communicating and researching that guest, or spend more time with your family, or no. do the laundry in peace. I don't care. Like, go. It for makes it. sense. But yeah, I just you actually can get more done yeah. when you're replicating yourself in other people. Yeah, and it's basically you multiplying yourself. And girl, I get it. Like, this is not, this is me preaching to the choir because I'm horrible about it. (laughs) Like I was frustrated with a cleaning company that we had used at one point because I felt like it wasn't like up to what I would want if I'm going like, hey, I'm paying for this. And so I was like, I'll just do it myself. And my husband's like, honey, (laughs) no, no. (laughs) I have to be, you know, talked through this. He's like, 
No, you need to go out and find somebody else. Just because they didn't work doesn't mean that the whole idea doesn't work. It just means that wasn't the right person for the job. Like stop trying to put it all back on your plate. Cause yeah, exactly. if you're, if you're like anyone can clean a bedroom well or a bathroom, like, but not everybody can sit and do this podcast interview. That's true. So you're not going to have time to do this if you're up cleaning a bathroom. But if you find the right person to clean the bathroom, then you can answer six emails, do a podcast interview, um, you know, volunteer somewhere if you want to like do what is actually again, Suzanne, you changed my life. Or you. Suzanne Stabile, shout out. What is for me to do? What is mine to do? There are certain things that only I can do. And that is what is mine to do. Nobody else can lead squats and margaritas. It's entirely <laughs> seriously like other people can have great podcasts and whatever. That's fine. There are a handful of people that can do that, but nobody can bring your exact voice, your message about balance, your nitty gritty honesty about some of these things that is changing lives. Nobody else can do that, but you, Thank you. somebody else can clean your house. Yeah. Somebody else can wipe a butt. Somebody else can tell your kids to take a shower. Right. (laughs) But it's like, so what are the things that are only yours to do? Focus on those and then remove the assumed constraints about everything else. And like I said, I'm, I'm learning this in real time. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to me too, because I'm still fighting it sometimes. It's not like you're like, this is what you have to do. You're like on your pedestal. Like, no, 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 no. You're like, I'm figuring this out right now too. So you're not like judging. You're saying, yeah, I get it. Like I'm, this is, this is helping me though. So maybe this can help you. Yeah. Um, Shailen, this interview is like, like more than I could have even like hoped for, like all of the (laughs) tips and all of the motivation and like inspiration. I don't even know how long we've been talking. I don't even know. time. I I don't know. I don't care. I mean, Hey, we can go on for three hours if you want. I, I mean, I wanted to talk to you about like balanced lifestyle. I always get nervous with this question. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously you work out. Do you enjoy cocktails or are you, is it a so balance? This is, this is my vice. I'm like Red a sugar-free Red, Red Bull girl. You'll never make me give it up. Never pry it out of my cold, dead hands. Can't do it. That and coffee. Nope. Um, your yeah, caffeine, caffeine and, um, Caffeine and crowns. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I was like, what could be here? Absolutely. People always joke. It's almost become like, where's Waldo in pictures with me? Cause they're like, oh, I spot the Red Bull in the background. Like it's always there. It's just ubiquitous. It's always there. Okay. Um, yeah, that is my survival juice. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, gosh, who doesn't love good cocktail every once in a while? For sure. Obviously anybody that saw you compete, like do, can you speak on like, are you in the gym seven days a week? Is that like pageant no. prep? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. No, not in the gym seven days a week. Um, we have some stuff in our basement. Most of the time I'm just working out with free weight. We have like a bench and free weights and, you know, Same. just a few random things downstairs. Same. Um, I like to go out for a jog every once in a while too, if the weather's decent, like mm-hmm. it, I actually love to go out running at night. I probably shouldn't say that publicly. Oh. So I don't get abducted, but, but I love it. Um, cause it's like the world is peaceful and quiet, yeah. you know, it's just, I don't know. It's restorative to me, like mentally. No, I love that. Um, yeah. Uh, but as I mostly do weights, I don't do a ton of cardio. Nope. Um, 
a little bit here and there, but honestly, like my kids love this game where they call me scary mommy and I chase them around the house. And like, you want to talk about a hit workout? That's, that's my cardio. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm out of air by the end. But two birds, your kids are happy. You're getting a workout in. They yeah. have your attention. Exactly. That's genius. Exactly. They love it. Like I hide around corners and come sprinting out after them and great we're all idea. exhausted at the end. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm always like my son, I'm like, mommy, are you almost done? I'm like, give me two more minutes. Like I'm in, but like make my workout part of hanging yeah. out with them. Yeah. 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 That's what I my husband that. does it too. He's scary daddy sometimes. So that's <laughs> like, they just think that's so funny. I don't know why they love to be scared, but they do. Yeah. They're no, like, they love you having your mommy, cool attention. You? Yeah. 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 So then you just come out and chase yeah. them and they're freaking out. Um, so yeah, usually that's like how you wrap up a workout is you're like, all right, here scary comes mommy. scary mommy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say honestly, since the pageant, I kind of fell off. Like I've worked out, but it has not been consistent. Like it should be. I just kind of needed a mental break. Um, and you was a little more intense leading look up to you. it, but, you know, but you look the same. Like, I feel like that's the other thing too. I stress so much. Yeah. I, I missed a day and I wait, like now I don't work out as much and I weigh less or like, I weigh the same, like you're not right. going that's extra stress you're putting on yourself. Like you missed a workout yeah. is going to do you worse than actually just going with it and be like listening to your body. Like your body yep. stays where it is when you live that way. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like, yeah, I'm, I'm up, I don't know, four or five pounds. Nothing. Yeah. I'm five foot 10. So that's like not going to show up really no. major in any no. particular way. Um, but it, it was just kind of good for me. Like it was such a whirlwind. So, um, I won, I, I went and competed at Mrs. American in November, came home like two days before Thanksgiving, and then just had went straight into the holidays and like all the chaos of that. And, you know, especially if your husband's a pastor, like the holidays are the bu- busiest time of your year, you know? And then Mrs. World was in January, like right after New Year's. So it was like, hey, you know, don't panic anybody, but you, you have six weeks to do all the things. Mm. So I kind of needed like a decompressant. Yeah. So I still eat generally clean and like, um, but I had some things like if I wanted the cookie, I had the cookie. If I yeah. wanted, you know, what the tacos, I had the tacos, but I, I would just not have a ton. I kind of yeah. just had it in moderation. Um, and then, like I said, I did kind of take a step back from working out because I just, whoo, I don't know, just, yeah, needed a yeah, little bit of a decompress. Yeah. My body was like, I need sleep and like rest more than you're, anything. You're intuitive with what your body is asking for. Yeah. And, and now I can feel my energy returning. I've started to get back into my workouts. I've started my meal prep again, and I'm excited about it because it doesn't feel like work. work it feels yeah. like, yeah, just getting back into like, I did the things and that was kind of fun, but felt, you know, you don't feel as good because you're not fueling your body with the best stuff. Yes. So I'm like, yeah, it was fun, but I'm done with it. <laughs> and like, now I'm back to, you know, my, my healthier eating and my healthier lifestyle. And, um, yeah. it is so much about balance. I agree. And what I love that you use the word intuitive, like listening to your body, listening to your gut on things, because you'll yeah. know. Um, so yeah, I was like, it was a nice break. It was fun. Yeah. And when you say you eat the cookie, sometimes like, and I just learned this recently, like, it's just your brain being satisfied. Like you got a cookie mm-hmm. and you just have like a couple bites of a cookie. It's like, that's all you need. And yeah, before I would eat a cookie and be like, 
I blew it. I got to eat all the cookies because I messed up. It's not like a mess up. Listen to your body. And I think the intuitive thing you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're satisfied, not when you're full, just have it. And then be like, are you satisfied? Why are you still eating? And then in an hour or so I'm hungry again. And then I finish it. It's Mm -hmm. just like checking in. Am I hungry? I eat. If you're satisfied, stop eating. And it's very simple like to explain, but it took me literally 20 years to figure this out, to just be intuitive. Cause I'd be like, I'd be hungry and be like, it's not time for lunch yet. I'm not going to eat. And my body's right. like, we're hungry. And I'm like, no, it's time. <laughs> I just ate. Like it was so, so many rules. Yeah. Like, And now I listen to my body and I weigh less. And yes, everyone, I heard myself say it, um, <laughs> but it's true. Like yeah. I have found a ideal body by listening to my body and honoring yeah. it. So in a healthy yeah. way. Right. And, and that's, that's what I think is important to come back to. It's not like you were gunning for yes. 20 pounds less. It's just yes. that when you took good care of your body, your body responded by letting go of inflammation, by letting go of excess fat that it didn't need because before it was just holding on to it. Cause it was worried. I was, <laughs> your body's not I was starving. Anymore. Yes. Yeah, that so is like, what it is. Yes. Yeah. What you just said that like, now, after when my pursuit was this physical ideal and I overexercised and didn't eat, mm-hmm. I never got it. But now just being in tune with my body, my body went to where it's supposed to be. Yes. Now I, I really don't eat that clean anymore. I work mm-hmm. out less and I stay at the same. My body is like, yep. we're good. my body trusts me. It's like, she's going to eat yep. today. She's not going to throw yep. up her food. She's not going to exercise twice a day. Like I did sometimes like mm-hmm. we're cool. We're all in, in yeah. sync with each other. Well said. I love that. My body trusts me. That's it so does. Good. It's like not she like holding on, trying to keep me alive. It's like, mm-hmm. she's going to eat. She's not going to exercise every day. And we're, yep. I stay at like the set point that I feel like I'm supposed to be at mm-hmm. and I'm happy. Yep. So I always joke that my youngest son, Miles is my role model in life. I'm like, I just want to be miles when I grow up because number one, like he could not care less what anyone thinks of him. When I was saying he was getting heels from my closet the other day to complete his Spider-Man costume. I'm not kidding. He was wearing Maleficent horns, full like Spider-Man with the mask and black high heels. And he was feeling himself. Yes. And I'm, that's my goal in life is to be more like miles. But honestly, even when it comes to eating, I'm like, I need to learn from this kid. Like there's, because he's an amazing intuitive eater. Like he, he's like, I want quinoa right now. So I'm going to have that. And then maybe 20 minutes later, I'm hungry again. I'm going to eat it. But like, he, he is so good. Number one, he has such a healthy palate. He's like, give me the salmon. But then like the other night he goes, I need a cookie for bedtime. And he went downstairs, opened the cookie jar. He ate half of it. And then he left it. Wow. That was it. He was satisfied that his brain got a cookie. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. And I was 10. He's the one that's seven. He's my youngest. Yeah. He just turned seven a couple of weeks ago. Wow. And I'm like, this kid, this is like (laughs) how it should be. Stop (laughs) worrying about what everybody else thinks. Just be in tune with yourself. Yes. Be confident in who you are. Like my daughter, like with her singing, like she, she'll just be in the next room, belting out mm-hmm. whatever it is. Uh, right now she's into why can't it Encanto or like, Oh Frozen. yeah. At the top of her. And we like, just really, <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno. No, Ever. no. <laughs> I am just like, I'll like laugh and be like, she's just so passionately. She doesn't care what mm-hmm. anybody thinks. And she, there's a tutu always grocery yep. store. Like, yep. you don't, I don't want to 
I, I hate that. Like at one point, somebody's gonna be like, we don't wear a tutu to the grocery store. She feels good. It looks good to her. And I never want her to lose it. But it's like, part of me is like, I know that in middle school, like if she's just being herself, people are going to come for her and I'm going to have to protect her, but I don't want her to lose that. Sing yeah. at the top of your lungs. And like, she doesn't care who's mm-hmm. gonna be like, my, my a little bit lower. Like, okay. She's just, she wants to sing. She wants to wear a tutu and I love it, but I know that that's going to be like squelched at some point, like that you don't you know wear what, a tutu though? to the grocery store. I don't think it has to be because I think what you're doing for her right now is setting her up for success when you're showing her that, you know, at what are you, are you 40? 40. I'm 40. Okay, you are 40 now. So, you know, 37 to 40, like you, you got <laughs> your own thing together. You're starting something new from scratch out yeah. of nowhere, you know, in your thirties and into your forties, like running this amazing podcast, owning who you are, being truly authentic through your podcast, you're mothering her. Like you really are right now. And you're giving her the confidence without you even having to say it. You're, you're sending her the message that you can be whoever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do. You can be genuine and authentic and the world will love that. The world will so embrace it. Um, that, that was a realization I had even through the pageant. Like I get that for so many people, they have preconceptions about pageants and whatever. And especially for me, I'm such an anomaly and a weird thing where it's like, wait, a pastor's wife is up there in a bathing suit, like, you know, clutch my pearls. Yeah. But I'm like, you know what? This was what I wanted at 37. I really wanted it. And I was honest about the fact that I wanted it and I went for it. No holds barred. Yes. And through that process, I was showing my daughter, like, you can be this and this. You can't, you don't have to pick. You can be authentically you. I will say that is one thing that my parents got incredibly right um, Mm -hmm. for myself and all four of my, or my three siblings was that they, um, they really were open about creative and taking like unusual paths in life. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was a rock star in the eighties. Like, you know, my mom awesome. had her creative outlet with baton. So creativity was always celebrated in our house. Mm-hmm. And even though in some ways, when it came to like, maybe the religious side of things, it was very, um, set and stifling in other ways, it was really open. So like my brother Landon is actually a rock star. Like people have tattoos of my brother. Um, <laughs> awesome. he's had billboard, you know, chart topping songs. Wow. Um, my brother, my brother, Micah won an Emmy at 21 for best musical score in a documentary. Oh um, he's God. a philosopher. He has never even gone to college, but he's literally like one of six people in the world that is, has been invited to do like a review and a rewrite of one of the most famous philosophy compilations on the planet because wow. he just he was authentically himself and went mm-hmm. all in. And then my sister is a YouTuber. She's got millions of followers. Really? <laughs> like that's her full-time job is she like, she'll make a wedding dress out of adult diapers on YouTube and the world falls in love with her. Right. Yeah. So it's like, everybody's love... authentically themselves. <laughs> yeah. People love the most authentic version of you. And so I think I, I understand the worry about them being crushed by 
other people judging them and whatever. But the, I think the more we show them that that's the minority yeah, and that most of the world, like you can never please everybody. And most of the world is really going to love seeing the most authentic version of you. So if you want to be 37 and still rocking a tutu girl, <laughs> salute to you hats off. Like, that's what I want for her is the most authentic, view, you know, authentic you people are going to get to know and love you for who you are. You're going to experience love at its truest form because you're being genuine. Yeah. You and I spent years trying to protect ourselves from that, but really all we did was block ourselves off. And so I think it's a really beautiful gift to be able to like break that chain in our lifestyle and the choices we're making Mm -hmm. for our kids and go, no, we're just not going to do that anymore. We're not going to let other people's perceptions keep us from being us. Just not going to happen. <laughs> I loved everything about this conversation. I could talk to you the rest of the day. Where does one go after Mrs. World? Like you have made it to the top. Where? What is next for you? So there's definitely nothing else as far as pageantry related. <laughs> I'm officially retired. You won everything you get. Yes. <laughs> there, there you is, are Mrs. There's World. No <laughs> You're going to compete against other worlds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's me and Mrs. Mars. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. So this is it. So I'm just so floored and grateful that I have this year to spend serving and, you know, get to travel the world and bring a spotlight to what we women are doing in other countries. I, I don't ever purport to be the person that knows what every community needs. That would be so arrogant of me. Um, but what I get to do is be a spotlight and go, look at what this woman is doing over here. I can bring more attention to this and put more eyeballs on what she's doing because she knows what her community needs. Um, yeah. So super excited that I get to do that all year. Um, also, I know you interviewed Jackie Siegel before, which is <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I get to partner with the Victoria's Voice Foundation. Love that. Um, that is the official charity that we work with at Mrs. America and Mrs. World. Yeah. So super pumped to get to do stuff with them all year. That's really close to my heart as well. Right. Um, um, you know, have, have lost people I loved to that, have watched so many struggle, um, obviously, especially in ministry, like we see that all the time, people yeah. coming to us with those needs. So really pumped to be working with them. And then also just highlighting more within the special needs community. I think yeah. it comes back to what we talked about with the mental health issue or with the um, disordered eating, like special needs parents, I think are often afraid to talk openly about what they're experiencing because they're afraid people are going to judge them. Um, to, to even come out and say like, this is really hard. It's hard for me to parent my kid. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing or like, I don't have some of the warm fuzzy feelings sometimes or whatever. Like people are ashamed to like explain how hard it is, or sometimes they just feel really isolated. Um, And then also for people with special needs themselves, like they need more doors opened for them to be accepted as part of society as a whole. They have so much to add there just as much as anybody else, if not more so. And so to go, no, they're a part of our community. They're not a separate community. Like they are part of our world community and to be celebrated for who they are. So being able to continue to highlight that, um, we do some work with the Tim Tebow foundation. They're, awesome. they're an awesome partner in things like night to shine, which we love to do. It's a prom experience for people with special needs, which is oh, so cool. Amazing. Ages 14 and up. So like 
if you're 99, come. <laughs> this is your prom night. <laughs> um, everybody gets crowned prom queen and uh, prom king. Like, it's, oh, I love it's the that. Best. Yeah, it's the coolest thing ever. You you have to come. You come. Uh, where is it? it. Come. Where is it? So I want to come. The, the coolest <laughs> thing is they do one. Um, they do it all on one night. It's always the Friday before um, Valentine's Day, and they do it in multiple locations all over the world. So we're all doing it at the same time. There's thousands of places. So we do it at our church um, because we have a nice large facility to be able to host it. We had like a thousand people last time we were Uh, able to do it. It was a blast. Um, So next time you're in our area, you're back in Westerville. um, I have my parents are there. My sister's in Westerville. Um, Yeah. I'm like outside of Atlanta now. I just moved here. Okay. Um, But if you, if you ever in Atlanta, let me know. Thank you for being so candid. It was truly a pleasure talking to you. I I am so honored that you asked and thank you for being who you are, for being open and honest and vulnerable, because again, I, I think you are giving women the permission that they need to do the same. And that's what helps set us free. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas.